this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. As we walk through this passage, I want you to be able to walk away knowing that God's mission moves forward despite opposition, persecution, and division. God's mission will move forward despite the enemy's attacks, despite Satan's attempts to bring persecution, opposition, and division. As you walk away, I'm going to give you a gospel response. Our our gospel responses are how you respond to the gospel message that is preached. They're not next steps for you just to implement into your life. They are responses to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so as you walk away today, I want you to be able to respond by fighting for unity in your life, unity with your relationships with those around you, and unity in this church. I want you to be prepared for opposition in your life that the enemy might bring to you. And I want you to be able to move forward to keep going when you face persecution in your life. That is how I want you to be able to walk out of this room feeling like a warrior going to battle, feeling prepared and ready to face anything you might face this week. Because we know that the enemy is out to get the church. And I want to walk through Luke chapter 13 to show you that Luke and Paul and Barnabas realized this truth and wanted us as a church to be able to experience this truth together. So walk with me, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so stop with me here and recognize this. The Holy Spirit is involved in everything that happens in Acts chapter 13. With the sending, with the preaching, with the protection, the Holy Spirit is the one who provides. Remember... In Acts, one truth we've seen consistently is that we have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan who's using an unstoppable church. But if we are going to be unstoppable, it's not because we are humans and because we have strength and because we're smart. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit is working in and through us. And Paul and Barnabas realized this. And so right from the beginning, the one who's going to send them where they go is the Holy Spirit. And in your life, as you go, I would, I would encourage you never to go to a place where the Holy Spirit's not going with you or sending you. So Paul and Barnabas are teaching us this truth. Verse 4, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. Now note that down, John, uh, most likely here, John Mark. We're going to see him in a couple verses later. Has, is going with them. He's joining them on their journey. This is Barnabas' cousin. So the guy we just saw is with Paul. This is his cousin, John. Verse 6, when they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. In the 930 service, the service before this, I used a uh, character from a book instead of the name 
Elemus, so I said Elysius. In this uh, service, I will try to keep the names straight. There are a lot of names in this. I get a little, my word, my words all mixed up, as you'd say sometimes. But in this passage, I mean, I'm serious. There's so many names in here. But think about what's happening in this moment, right? Bar Jesus, you've got Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus has uh, authority in this area. It's a somewhat like war-driven town, um, a leadership in, in uh, area for, for this uh, region. And so this guy had influence, he had finances, and he calls for Paul and Barnabas because he is a man like many in that town who would like to hear about all the different gods and make sure that he's worshiping the right ones or make sure that he's calling upon the right ones for certain things. So he calls upon Paul and Barnabas. Now there's a sorcerer in the way, um, and what he wants to do is to blind or mute uh, anybody that comes to Sergius Palace. Why? Because if somebody comes up and brings the truth and Sergius Pallas believes it, then he's no longer going to need the sorcerer. He's no longer, uh, to, it's not going to be necessary for Bar-Jesus to be organizing all these things and making sure that they're believing what uh, they're putting out, but instead they believe Paul and Barnabas. So they want to stop them. So watch with me what happens when the Holy Spirit engages opposition. Verse 9, But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elemus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? I'm simply waiting for one of you to be preaching the gospel in the culture, and someone come up and try to stop it, and you say, You son of the devil. <laughs> Just think it, man, the boldness, right? Like, I, I see Paul in these moments, and I'm like, that dude, he is so courageous. Like Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified like walking in these moments I see Paul a couple different times just with this kind of boldness but you got to think about it like it, it's somewhat for us we're like whoo that like takes us aback a little bit but for Paul who who's following after Jesus Christ who said hey don't let anyone get in the way of the little children coming to me who was kicking out the Pharisees who were trying to stop the gospel from being preached. Like, Paul's just following after his Savior to ensure that this man who wants to hear the gospel is able to hear the gospel. But notice what the, what the Holy Spirit does. In verse 11, Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. God is against you. It's not a good place to be in. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went, ran around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Like this is the living out of the passage that who, uh, who can be against us if God, if God is for us, right? Like, who literally can be against us if God is for us? And then it puts it in action. Like, Paul writes that. Paul's the one who wrote those words because he knows that when he's going out into culture and he's bold and he's courageous, he lived out and saw the Holy Spirit living for and, and protecting Paul. So when he writes those words, it's not just words on a page. Like, it's, it's the life he lived, the life he experienced when the Holy Spirit goes before him. Brothers and sisters, when the Holy Spirit calls you to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit is with you, there's no better place to be than in the Holy Spirit's direction and empowerment, the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Verse 13, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. Man, 
Say that three times fast. Paul, Paphos, Perga, Pamphylia. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. Note that down. John left them and goes back to Jerusalem. Now, who's in Jerusalem? John's mother. Remember when Peter got out of jail last week in chapter 12? Uh, Peter gets out of jail and he goes to John Mark's mother's house. That's where John Mark is headed back towards. Um, uh, I get this, man, going back to see mama. I get that. I understand that. But we wonder a little bit, where is he going and why is he going there? Now, there's a lot of speculation around this. It doesn't say in the text necessarily. There's a couple ideas. My goal today is not to convince you that there's a reason uh, in particular that John Mark's leaving. We don't know the answer. It could be because in front of them, they have a 120-mile journey over mountains. It could be because Paul is sick, as we see later uh, in, Gal- in South Galatia. He has some sickness that's, that's messing with his eyes. Um, it could be because Mark is sick from traveling in the lowlands of Pamphylia. There was lots of diseases there. Uh, it could be that he was frustrated that Paul was leading and Barnabas wasn't because Barnabas was his cousin and felt like he should have been the leader in command. We don't know why he's leaving, but we do know that after he leaves, in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul tells Timothy to bring with him John Mark, who is useful to the ministry. So there is a reconciliation, not before Barnabas and Paul uh, struggle about it, and Barnabas eventually goes one way, taking John Mark with him, and Paul goes another. But essentially, God's people do reunite. Now, there's division along the journey, sometimes on the team, sometimes in in your family unit, sometimes in uh, your ministry areas, sometimes in your friendships. There is division. We must constantly fight division. We must fight against disunity because Satan is always trying to attack. Look at verse 14. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Man, so Paul takes the opportunity. Now, shifting culture a bit here, Sergius Paulus is Greco-Roman culture, uh, has a sorcerer there with him. We are now in a synagogue with Jews around. So I'm going to read this sermon straight. This is the longest sermon we have recorded from Paul preaching in this sort of manner, like this gospel presentation manner. So I'm going to read it to you straight as if it's Paul presenting the gospel to you. But remember that he was in a Jewish culture as he was speaking this. Verse 16, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out my will. 
from this man's descendants as he promised God brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not the one, but one is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. As to his raising from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. And do you sense the courage, the boldness, the gospel proclamation in the midst of Jewish opposition that just took place on those words. Like, think about this with me. You have Jews who have been teaching uh, a certain theology from the Old Testament their whole life. They've been following after it in the midst of a culture that was in opposition to them. They would obey circumcision. They would obey Sabbath and other festivals that were Jewish. They would obey food laws in the midst of everyone else indulging in whatever food they wanted to. These Jews would follow the uh, law of Moses to the T, trying to obey everything that it said. And in front of them, Paul says, you are not justified by the law of Moses. You are justified by Jesus Christ. Everything that you've believed and sought justification from. I mean, remember Leviticus 26. Remember Ezekiel 35 and 36 and 21. Remember that God had said to them, if you can obey the law, then you will have life. So what did they do? They obeyed the law so that they would have life. And now here comes Paul and he says, you're not going to have life from obeying the law because you can't follow it. You're going to have life from believing in Jesus Christ. Even further, if that was the only thing he said in there that was, uh, that was sort of courageous and bold, maybe you could say, well, all the other stuff was sort of just uh, trying to help them understand. But think back on what he said about David. He said, David decays. Man, David's their king. The king of the Jews, like the one who united together the two nations, the one that they were waiting for a, another a descendant to come from, uh, 2 Samuel 7 would tell us that there's another descendant coming who's going to fulfill all the prophecies and restore the kingdom of Israel, and they're going to prosper and have all of this life and love and freedom and peace. 
King David. And then Paul says, he decayed. But Jesus, he didn't. Like that's putting Jesus up against King David in front of these Jews who had been worshiping the God of David. The boldness, the courageous preaching. Verse 42, as they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. There's opposition and there's persecution in following Jesus. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. We are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now remember, theologically, this is a theological point that Paul's teaching us here. And Luke is recording for us is that the first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. The Jews were always supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. The purpose of God choosing Abraham was that through Abraham, he would be a light into the nations. Not that God would simply love Abraham's people, but that Abraham's people would be an extension of God's love to everyone. So in Paul going to the Jews first, he's fulfilling that. Go to the Jews, let them be a light into the nations. If they reject, go to the Gentiles. So there's a theological point that is happening here. But he uses a word, a phrase in here, Ionios Zoe, translated in your Bibles as eternal life. It is here and only in Daniel and some Second Temple literature. That is literature in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We call it Second Temple literature. It's literature from the Second Temple, right? So during that time, they're talking about eternal life. Now, they hadn't really talked about it in the Old Testament, right? So now all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out, okay, what is eternal life? They don't, they, some think they have a word from the Lord. Uh, some try to speak into it, and here comes Paul, and he uses the word. He uses this phrase that, that was kind of in people's minds. What is eternal life? Where does it come from? All these different things. And Paul says, you know what? If you want to know about eternal life, look to Jesus, the one who doesn't decay. And so, y'all, again, he's speaking into the culture that he's preaching to. Verse 48, this is awesome. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. This moment is like, for the Gentiles, if you put yourself in in the city, they're like, okay, we have gods that we worship in different temples all throughout the city. You want to, you go worship this God, then you worship this God, and you make these sacrifices, this one, this one, and this one, and your life will be taken care of and covered, right? The Jewish synagogue was Jewish. If you wanted to be a part of the Jewish synagogue, you had to get circumcised, and you had to uh, obey the food laws, and you had to obey the uh, festivals and all these different things. So you don't go to the Jewish place. That's really just for the Jews. For the Greco-Romans, they, they would just worship all sorts of different gods, right? We've seen this even in Acts. You just worship all sorts of gods. And so when Paul comes to them, it's like, no, no, no. Just believe in Jesus. For them, it's a rejoicing. Like they, they're like, oh, we get to worship this God of the universe who can do all these mighty works. Like, yeah, we want to be a part of that. And notice this second um, sentence in this, in this passage, this verse. It says, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
And I love this theological truth because it has both the divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It has that God has appointed some to eternal life, but that those some ought to believe. The human responsibility of placing their faith in Jesus Christ and the divine sovereignty of appointing to eternal life. You can see it so richly and clearly right here. God has appointed to eternal life those, and then they believe in him. This is a really important truth for us as a church today. Because when you look at Paul, who had an awesome team with him, you got Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who's been an outstanding leader in the church. You have a phenomenal sermon preached. And you've got the Holy Spirit muting people and blinding people for you that try to get in your way. Like you have an awesome work of God happening, and yet people don't believe. And sometimes I think we get discouraged, like we feel like, man, if I could just preach better. Man, if I just had a better team. Man, if the Holy Spirit would just work in me. Paul had it all. Because it's not up to us, it's up to the Holy Spirit moving through us and in people to bring people to salvation. You just be faithful. Go where God's called you to go. Preach what God's called you to preach and let the Holy Spirit move because he is appointed to eternal life and those who he's appointed will believe. Just be faithful. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. All right, they're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit after what three things happen? Division, opposition, and persecution. John Mark leaves, the, uh, the sorcerer is in opposition to them, the Jews are in opposition to him, and then they raise up Jews and Greeks to come and persecute them. And they're filled with joy. All right, so let me walk with you through this. First, in the midst of persecution, uh, let's see, which, which one should we go with? I don't, I don't have notes, y'all. I just, I just go through. So, can you pop up the first one that we were, is it Bar Jesus? Opposition? Is it opposition? Oh, here we go. We'll go, okay. We'll go with opposition first. Thank you. Uh, opposition from Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, and the Jewish uh, 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 p- uh, people that were against the gospel messages preached. What is happening here? How do we counteract this? When there is opposition in your life, be prepared with meditation, studying God's word, and prayer. In opposition, we must be prepared. Look, when there's opposition, we should never be surprised. We should always be prepared. Remember this, church. When there's opposition or persecution or division, we should not be surprised that Satan is working. Satan is always trying to divide you, always trying to oppose you, and always trying to persecute you. What we should do instead is be prepared because we know that it is coming. So what does it look like for you in your life, your ministry, your family unit and friendships? What does it look like for you all to prepare yourselves for the opposition that is coming? Paul was ready, man. He knew what to do. Like He was like, what he wrote in Romans, like, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Like, I know what to do. Like, in the midst of this opposition, I'm just going to call upon the Holy Spirit. Like, he literally calls upon the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. He knows what to preach. He knows how to respond. Like, he's prepared. Second thing we see is division. John Mark. All right, so back up with me to John Mark. 
Remember I told you it's 120 miles away, uh, Pisidian Antioch, from where they are. They've got to travel 120 miles through the mountains. The uh, Pisidian Antioch is 3,600 feet above sea level. The tallest mountain in Maryland is 3,200, 3,300 feet. I think it's called Backbone Mountain. So if you can imagine yourself driving through western Maryland, seeing those tall mountains, they were traveling over and uh, over tall mountains and then down into valleys. Like this is what they were doing as they go. Along that journey were... Roman, uh, Roman people uh, like, like centurions and, and officials wouldn't even travel this journey because there were so many bandits. Because when you have a port city and then you have a large city, you're trying to get those goods from the port to this large city. So they traveled with a lot of goods and a lot of money along this port, right? So they would put bandits around it to steal everything that was going through this road. So Paul, having the courage and boldness, again, you just got to like move through this and think about it. Paul just is ready to go. He's like, all right, let's just go to Pisidian Antioch. We'll just take this journey. No defense. Like they, they're not Roman centurions around him. He's just going and preaching the gospel. And we don't know why John Mark back down, but all we do know is that this was a difficult journey. Not, not, not only that you had uh, the opposition going up this, uh, these mountains and down in these valleys and stuff like that, but there were rivers that would overflow and sweep away all they had and sometimes sweep away uh, the people that were traveling along the journey or you couldn't pass through them. So you just had to stop and having to stop was not, was not good for their journey, especially if it was in a difficult season or a dangerous environment. A perfect opportunity for bandits to come and steal everything they had. So look, this journey was difficult. And John Mark had just left them. That division, that struggle, like feeling that divide, that disunity that's happening amongst the team, like that hurts. Barnabas, even thinking about Barnabas, like his cousin just left and he's there with Paul who was just formerly killing Christians. Like there's a little bit of, you know, you want people around you on that journey, especially bandits come up and all these different things in the midst of the division. We have always got to look for unity. We as a church must fight for unity or Satan will always create division. Because Satan is always fighting for division. The question is, are we fighting for unity? We must wake up every day and fight for unity in our marriage unity in our friendships, unity in our church. We must battle Satan. Be prepared. Don't be surprised when division comes. Be prepared to continue to be faithful just like Paul and Barnabas go on the journey that God had for them. Third thing we see is persecution from the uh, Jewish unbelieving of, of the gospel message and also from the Greco-Romans around them bringing persecution towards them and uh, and, and, and trying to attempt to stop what God is doing. In the midst of persecution, remain faithful. Don't stop because God is still using you. Think about this. A lot of people think that if the early church had just been contained to Jerusalem, that it would have sort of just assimilated into Judaism and not really spread into the nations. What caused them to spread in the nations? Persecution. 
persecution moved Peter from the jail into the cities in Gentile territory. And you know what Peter goes and does. He goes and preaches. Paul is moved by persecution to go preach throughout all the different cities. In fact, at the end of chapter 13, they shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. Okay, we're going to go preach over here then. Persecution simply drives people to go preach the gospel in another, another space. And so the gospel just keeps moving forward. Persecution is often not the end. It's only the beginning. Remember that. Persecution should not be the end in your faithfulness to God. It should be the beginning of God using you in a new way. So no matter if you face division or opposition or persecution, simply remain faithful because God's mission moves forward. The main point today, again, is that God's mission moves forward despite persecution, division, opposition. So... Put all that together, and remember, Paul had an awesome team, an awesome message, and the Holy Spirit in him, and he still faced persecution, division, and opposition. In your life, do not be surprised when you face it, because Paul did too. There's no sermon that's good enough. There's no person who's fast enough to get away. We are all going to face persecution, opposition, and division. So my challenge to you is simply this. To remain faithful because your God is unstoppable. Your God is unstoppable. And he, whether we are James and pass away or Peter and move forward, just be faithful because God is still using the church to accomplish his plan in this world. So don't be discouraged. Your God is with you, and he is unstoppable. So as the band comes forward, I got three gospel responses for you this morning. And the first is fight for unity. Just like I, I said, I gave you this application. Just fight for unity in your marriage. Fight for unity in your friendships. And how can you do that? What's something you can do to fight for unity? What I want you to do is I want you to relentlessly extend grace relentlessly extend grace and consistently challenge people with truth. If you want to find unity, you're going to have to extend grace to those around you because we are all going to make mistakes. We are all going to fail and struggle. Extend grace and then bring in truth. We need to be united, but we are not united by our methods. We are not united by God's mission. You may have differences in opinion on how things should be run, things should be done, all these different things in your life or in the church or in your family, but it is not the methods that unite you. It's the mission. God has a mission for your life, for you to make disciples who bring God glory and enjoy his goodness forever. Be united by that, constantly extending grace to one another and bringing in truth. Here's some ways you can grow, but I still love you. Here's some ways we can draw closer, but I still love you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to abandon you. If we're not fighting for unity, Satan is always going to bring in division. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to be ready for opposition. Through studying God's word, meditation, and prayer, I want you to be ready for opposition because it will come. And are you prepared? Are you prepared? Look, here, here's the best way I can illustrate this out. It's like if you're in a, a, a fort and the enemy's coming against you and all your warriors, I mean, you got a huge amount of warriors like ready to overthrow the enemy coming at you. But they're all asleep. 
They don't have their battle gear on, their swords are put away, and they're just kind of hanging out, not ready for anything. That's not how we should be caught by Satan. We should be caught with our battle gear on, like ready to go, let's fight. I'm ready, come at me, Satan, right? We need to be prepared for the battle. We can't have division. We must be prepared. We can't, have, we can't be asleep when the opposition comes. We must be prepared. And third thing I want you to do is I want you to not give up. Don't stop when persecution comes. Don't stop. It, the best example I have of this is if the enemy's coming at you and, man, you're, you're ready, you got your battle gear on, everybody's ready to fight, and all of a sudden the enemy starts shooting arrows or fighting against you, and, and you're just like, man, just let them keep shooting. We'll be all right. Just let them keep fighting. It's okay. We... We're fine. Your leader's like, just everybody just sit back and just take the fire, take the, take the ammo, take it. It's fine. Just sit there. Brothers and sisters, we've not been called to be passive and sit back. We've been called to be courageous and bold, to stand up with what we do fight with. And what we fight with isn't attacking flesh and blood. It's spiritual. What we have is the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is bonding people together and bringing peace and overcoming sin, Satan, and death in ways that warfare could never have accomplished. Guys, you have the greatest army, the greatest warrior leading you, and the greatest battle position of all time. We are the church linked together by God's unity, given the Holy Spirit to fight, given the gospel message to preach. We can't back down just because we face persecution. Because the culture is always going to oppose us. But let us be like Paul and Barnabas, that when the culture comes against us, God is with us. Fight for unity. Prepare for opposition and stand firm. Don't stop when you face persecution. Let me pray over you. Father, your word is true. It is good. I pray, God, that as you extend us grace, you would also bring us truth, refine us, make us stronger for your glory and for your goodness. Help us to enjoy the goodness that your, that your Holy Spirit brings to us in the midst of persecution. Help us to be strong in what we speak and strong in how we act. I pray, Father, that you give us energy. You give us peace. God, that you would prepare us for battle. I pray, God, that this morning you would unite together marriages that never thought they could bring unity together. I pray, God, that you would unite together friendships that were broken. I pray, God, that you would bring us such a unity in this church that your mission becomes number one, that we're all fighting for the same mission and vision. I pray, God, that you would prepare these brothers and sisters for opposition that is coming. That the culture would be so surprised by the Holy Spirit working in and through them that they would turn to you and believe simply because of what you are doing in the lives of these brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that as persecution comes, we will stand firm, not stop, preach on, continue with the mission that you have given us. And Father, just like Paul goes to Iconium, God, send us where you have for us. God, if there's anybody who's strayed away, if there's anybody who's tried to cause division, 
I pray, God, you would restore them like John Mark, who goes on to write the gospel of, John, uh, of Mark because he met Peter along his division and opposition. He met Peter and then wrote the gospel of Mark. Like, God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who has been moving away from what you have for them, that you would draw them back, restore them, and use them for your glory. So God, this morning, take us where you want us to go, but go with us and speak through us and use us for your glory. And we'll give it all to you. We love in your son's name. Amen.
darkness to light it up, remember that no matter what you face, opposition, persecution, or division, God's mission will move forward, and He is using you, the unstoppable church, to accomplish His unstoppable plan, because He is an unstoppable God working through you. Have a great week. We'll see you later. have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.